weekend to you guys. And I'm afraid it probably will not be a happy Father's Day weekend for me because this weekend I'm talking uh, to women about men. And I'll just tell you, it's a lot easier for me to talk to men about men and how we can be a better man. But in talking to women, I feel a little incompetent because never been a woman. I hope that's obvious to you, right? And as a result, I am confident there are things I won't understand. There's going to be some perspectives that I don't know about. And so, you know, if I say something over the next few minutes that's offensive, I can pretty much promise you I will. But if I do, I want you to know my intent is not to be offensive. And I know that at some point in my talk, you ladies, you're going to be, able, you're going to be tempted to throw up a wall of defense. Uh, you may even want to walk out. I don't know. You're going to think things like, I'd be happy to do these things. See, the women do it with the head bob. I'd be happy to do these things that Mike's talking about if my husband would just, and you already have the list. Or you're thinking, Mike, you don't, you don't know my situation. You've never met my husband. Mike, you don't know my story. And if I could just tell you my story, you would see how I'm the exception to this biblical principle. In fact, when I get to heaven, God's going to say, you get to sit right over there because you're the one exception to this rule. So let me just say this. If that's the defensive posture that you're taking this weekend, this is pretty much going to be a waste of our time. And nothing in your relationship with the men in your life, nothing in relationship with your husband is ever going to change. I would just encourage you to try to stay open. I would remind you that a few weeks ago, I let the men have it, right? I talked to the men about the top needs of women and the men, they just took it. I didn't get one hate email. I didn't get any unsigned letters. Nobody was trashing me on social media. Nobody tried to stab me in Target this week. I mean, it was, I mean, that week, it was a pretty easy week. In fact, the men came up to me and said, wow, you kind of let us have it. We got a lot to work on. We got stuff to do, right? And that was kind of, so women, I would just encourage you kind of take the same route. Remember, I'm talking in generalities. What I say is the top three. These are based on surveys. It may be different with your husband. It may be a little different in your relationship. But I would just say you, I would just encourage you to sift through what I'm going to say. Don't get defensive. Just listen. It's based on biblical principles. Sift through what I have to say. Be honest enough to ask yourself, I wonder if there's anything in here that would make me a better wife or that I can improve on. Now, and then if you're really brave, go home and ask your husband, hey, honey, is there anything I can improve on? I don't think, I don't think he'll take advantage of it. I really don't. And he may say, hey, listen, Mike's an idiot. Don't listen to a word he said. You're great. Well, if that's the case, then you got it going on. Either that or he's scared to death of you. It could go either way. But anyway, having said that, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. I mean, let's just jump right in the deep end. Here we go. Submit. Right there. Some of you know these just shut down, right? Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now, let me just say this word submit or submission, it gets a bad rap in our culture. Uh, so let me give you a definition that will maybe help you change this idea of submit or submission. Uh, when you think of a submarine, it's a boat that goes under, goes underwater, right? So when you think of submission, this is the way I think of it in my relationships with you, my relationship with Laura. When we, when we live in submission, we put our mission under someone else's mission. And in a marriage, it, it, see, I put my mission under Laura's mission. She puts her mission under my mission. So we're in mutually submissive to each other. There are times in our relationship where Laura says, Mike's busy, Mike's got more going on, my mission takes back seat. There are times in Laura's life where I say, man, she's got a lot of going on this week. My mission takes back seat. Her needs are more important than my needs. This is what it means to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. So he says to do that. And then Paul says, listen, I'm going to give you the key to your spouse's heart. I'm going to give you the key to unlock their life. This is what he says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That's the key 
to unlocking her heart. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That's the key to unlocking her heart. And you'll notice there's no condition in these verses. Paul just says, do it. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. By the way, which do you think it's harder to do? Is it harder to love or is it harder to submit? Well, I can tell you it's harder to love because love requires dying to self. I mean, go back to Mother's Day weekend. What did, what did Paul say? Women, a men, you've got to be willing to lay down your life in these different areas so that you can meet your wife's need. So it's much harder to love than it is to submit. So ladies, when you think about it that way, you're getting off easy this weekend, okay? So with that in mind, let's talk about the three biggest needs in the life of men. Someone sent me an email saying that it was sex, sandwich, and silence. That's why he's not the pastor, okay? But he is good at alliteration, right? And he's probably been divorced several times. Those are not the top three. So let me just give you the first one, and it may surprise you. It may surprise you. The first one is companionship. Companionship. Let me show you a verse, Genesis chapter two, verse 18. Remember God created Adam and Eve. You know, he, 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 I mean, he created Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul and God placed him in the garden of Eden that he had created for him. And he says, you work it, take care of it, name the animals, life is good, Adam is enjoying everything. And then God observes him over a period of time and says in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. And again, we said last week, we don't know why. We don't know if he was running through the garden with scissors, his shoelaces were untied, he's just eating sugar all day, we don't know. But God observes Adam and says, this, this is not a good thing. I will make a helper, or you could say, I will make a companion for him. It's the same word, I'll make a companion for him. And if you were here on Mother's Day weekend, I talked about that the, the, the sexes are as different as night and day. Culture likes to tell us it's not. And as a result, we want women to be stronger and we want men to be softer, but God created us differently. And when God created men, he created them with certain weaknesses and certain strengths. And then he created women with certain weaknesses and certain strengths. But when we come together, we literally do complete one another. We literally do become one. So God says, I am gonna make a helper, a companion suitable for him. And so understand God created Eve because Adam needed a companion. Now I'm gonna give you another word for companion and it might shock you. The word is playmate. And see, that got the men's attention. They're tuned back in now, right, see? Adam needed someone he could have fun with, see? And the reason Adam needed this playmate is because men like to have fun. You need to know that about men. See, th th we really do kind of stay at that middle school emotional level. We really do, we really do never grow up. See, this is why we buy train sets for our kids. And so when they go to bed at night, we can play with the train set. We love to have, have fun. That's how God made us. Let me tell you something, ladies. If you don't believe that, just go home after the service and ask your husband, honey, you want to have some fun? He'll say, yeah, 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 yeah. Go get your ball. Go get your ball. I'm telling you. He, we're not like pigs. We really are more like dogs, okay? But men, we like to have fun. I mean, think about this. Seriously, let me just, let me just think about this. If you think about this logically. The reason we fall in love is because we do fun things together. The reason we fall in love is because we enjoy one another's company. We can't wait to get back together again. You don't fall in love. You don't marry someone you can't stand to be around. You dread every time. You know, you fall in love because you have these common interests. You do fun things together. And let me tell you something. We fall out of love 
because we stop doing fun things together. And one of the reasons is kids show up, right? And all of a sudden they take all of our energy and they take all of our resources. But let me just tell you something. Ladies, what it took to get him is what it takes to keep him. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. I got some great guy friends. Just a few weeks, I'll be up on the French River and the Georgian Bay in Canada, and I'll be fishing for sturgeon and spike with, with my guy friends, and we'll smoke cigars and do spit, and we'll do guy stuff, right? I, but I'm telling you, nine times out of 10, if I've got a choice, can I spend time with Laura, or can I spend time with my guy friends? I'm gonna tell you, nine times out of 10, I'm gonna pick Laura. Because even though we've been married 40 years, we still have a blast together. So ladies, Maybe you've gone a little stale there, but you need to find something that he thinks is fun and you need to do it with him. So companionship, it's the number three need. We're gonna start with number three, work up to number one. He needs a playmate. Number two need, cuddling. Anybody believe that? How about deep, meaningful conversation? Anybody believe that? So I'm trying to avoid number two, which is sex. And I'm trying to avoid it because every time I use the S word in church, it's worse than submit. You know what I'm saying? Everybody just shuts down. I get all kinds of bad emails. But I, you got to understand something. And we just need to clear the air here. Sex is not a dirty word, okay? It's not a dirty topic, but I always get grieved when I talk about it. But you got to understand God created sex. I mean, think about this. There was some time in eternity past where God was sitting on his throne and he thought, I have got the coolest idea. <laughs> so understand, God isn't against sex. He created it. It was his idea. He gave us our sexuality as a gift. Now, let me tell you why we have to talk about it in church. I have an old saying that strange things grow in a vacuum. And for years, the church got to the place where it was inappropriate to talk about something that God had created, which made it good, which made it right. So culture stepped in and said, we'll run with it. And they've made it a perversion. And they've made it dirty. And so our kids and our college kids, they're getting it from every angle. You know why? Because the church doesn't discuss this issue anymore. Because it might offend somebody. So if you've got your middle school here with you, your high school, or if you're a college kid, you're a single adult, you need to hear what I'm getting ready to say. Because understand, if we don't talk about it, bad things happen. If you don't believe that, here's some statistics. 70% of our high schoolers will have had sex by the age of 19. This one will blow your mind. One out of three teenage girls in America will become pregnant. I thought that was odd. I had to go check it again. One out of every three teenage girls in America will become pregnant. It is twice the rate of any other developed country on the planet. It's because our culture has taken over the topic of sex. Jason, my executive pastor, he was telling me one day that his third, grade, his third grade boy came home from a public school and said, Daddy, you know what we learned today? Teacher read us a story. We learned that if you didn't want to be a boy, you can take medicines and you can have surgeries and you can be a girl. Third graders. Jason went to the school, met with the principal, got the book the teacher was reading. There's some excerpts in this book. If I read them to you, I'd get fired. And this is what our third graders are being exposed to because, see, this is what happens when the church checks out of society and we leave things to culture. 
So let's discuss this topic where it was meant to be discussed, okay? God gave us the gift of sex. He even provided the venue in which to practice, to utilize this gift, it's called marriage. And I don't know why God didn't make women, men and women's needs the same. It would certainly make marriage easier. The reality is they're not the same. When you survey men, it comes in number two is their biggest need in their life, sex. For women, it's number 15. 14 is root canal, and then he kind of goes up from there. But the point, my point is, we're as different as night and day. And because we're different, we have a tendency to hear things through our own needs. For example, another big need for women, it's not in the top five, but another big important need for women is non-sexual affection. See, men, they want to hold our hands while we're walking down the mall or while we're walking down the beach. See, they want to cuddle without it leading anything. Now that makes no sense to men whatsoever. That's just a waste of time and energy. But see, you gotta understand, that's how God made women. We're different, see? So when a man says, hey, I need sex, a woman hears, he just wants to cuddle. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And in the same way, when a woman says, I need to cuddle, a man hears, she wants me. She can't resist me. Oh, yes, she can for a long, long time. See, see. And that creates problems. That creates tension. Because let me tell you something. If a husband's need for sex isn't met at home, unfortunately, we live in a culture, we live in a society that's telling him that there are other options. But man, I got to tell you, even though this is a legitimate need, even though this is the way God made us, if you meet this need outside the context of marriage, it is wrong. Okay, it is sin. In fact, let me show you what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18. He says, this is what, as Christians, this is what your attitude should be toward any sexual behavior outside of marriage. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Now, in case that's too vague, let me give you a biblical definition for immorality. It's any sex outside the context of a marriage between a husband and wife. Anything outside of that context, a husband and wife in a committed married relationship falls into the biblical category of immorality. And Paul says, flee from sexual immorality, which is pretty straightforward. He's pretty much saying this. When you find yourself in the danger zone, don't say, whoa, this might be dangerous. Don't sit around and analyze the situation. Don't see how much you can flirt. Don't see how close you can get to the flame without getting burned. Paul says, because of what's at stake, you need to flee, you need to run. And he gives us the reason in verse 18. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now let me tell you something. Paul is just telling us here something that we already know. And we know, we know, we may not admit it, but there's something different about sexual sin. We can pretend it's the same as stealing a pack of gum or jaywalking or cheating on an exam, but we all know that there's something unique about sexual sin. I mean, when it comes to other sins, eventually we can find forgiveness. Eventually we can put it behind us. Maybe if enough years go by, we can look back at how stupid we were and even laugh about the situation, but I'm telling you, sexual sin is different. It affects you spiritually, it affects you emotionally, it affects you physically. It can stick to you like honey and in some cases, it will follow a person throughout their life. And it's not that God doesn't forgive you. Sometimes it's just so hard 
to forgive yourself. So to avoid all of this, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, and he's talking about, let's just take care of this in the marriage relationship. And he said, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to the wife, and likewise the wife to the husband. Now here's just a disclaimer. I didn't write this. This is the Bible, okay? Just want to clarify that. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So in other words, Paul says, when you're married and you don't want to have sex, the really only legitimate excuse you can give is, I'm praying. And yet, you notice you both have to agree? Because if you didn't, see, all you women would join the prayer team and say, honey, I'm right now, I'm in, a, I'm in 24-7. This is a year of prayer. It's a year of prayer right now. Now, so you got to agree on it together. Now, let me just say this. I don't think Paul is saying here that as couples, we never say no. But I think he is saying this. It should be the exception, not the rule. And it breaks my heart when I talk to couples where they just let this part of their relationship die. Like, yeah, we haven't had sex in months. Or we haven't done that in years. I'm telling you, you're, you're setting yourself up for a failure. So you can say no, but when you say no, say no with an appointment. No, but in three hours when I finish what I'm doing. No, but tomorrow. No, but Friday night, we'll get your mom to keep the kids. Say no with an appointment, right? And I know a big excuse these days is I'm tired. And one of the reasons we're tired is children. And somebody said to me the other day, you don't like children. I love children. We are like the, the, the grandparents of 12 Oaks. We keep people's children all the time. There was a lady down the street. Her husband was out of town. One of the three kids broke his ankle. She needed to go to the emergency room 10 o'clock at night. Drop the kids off at our house. We have no problem with it. We love kids and those kids love us. They come to our house. They hang out with me. We love the kids. It's you parents that irritate me. Because <laughs> you don't know how to be parents. And you've allowed your children to crawl up on the throne of your family. And mom and dad's like two little planets. What do you want? What do you need? Where can we take you? Did you know the average family in America has 13 commutes a day because of their kids? So yeah, you're tired. But let me tell you something. Being fatigued for the most part, is a mental thing. And I say that because it's amazing what we can find the energy to do if we really want to do something. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You think, you think, Mike, it sounds to me like you're saying that we have to say yes a lot. Yes. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what the Bible teaches. And I'm not talking about a yes. I'm not talking about... Yes, but don't block the TV. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. That is not obeying the spirit of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Now, let me just, I'm going to seriously give you some practical advice here because some of you, it's just, you got to get back in the habit. Okay? You know they say to develop a habit, you got to do something every day for three weeks? I'm not kidding. That's what you need to do. You need to, I, every day for three weeks, till it becomes a vital part of your marriage relationship again. This is important stuff. It's so important. Paul had some incredibly 
tough words when he talked about this. So sex comes in the number two need in the life of a man. Ladies, you got to figure this out. You got to figure this out. Number one, honor or maybe respect. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Paul again is writing, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect, it's the same Greek word as honor, her husband. Now, why is that so important? I want to show you one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. You may want to turn there if you have your Bible. It's Mark chapter 6, verse 1. You've probably read it, but you never really thought about it. Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What is this wisdom that has been given him? What are these miracles he is performing? Isn't this in the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, and you've probably read this, you didn't know where you read it or you've heard it. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hand on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. What's amazing to me is that it doesn't say he would not do any miracles there. It says he could not. He could not. Now, you may remember that when Jesus was on this earth, he was fully God and fully man. And according to Philippians chapter 2, Paul says he set aside some of his attributes when he left heaven and he came to this earth. In fact, this is what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who, being Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I like the way the New American Standard translated it better. Did not consider it something to be grasped. Did not consider it something that he held on to, but he set it aside. And so understand when Jesus was on this earth, just like us, he lived his life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like me and you, he operated by faith. And this passage tells us that because his family didn't have faith, they didn't honor him. And he could not do all the great things he would have done because his family didn't honor him. Now here's a question. If dishonor hindered Jesus when he was a man, is it possible that dishonor is hindering your husband from doing great things? I mean, is it possible? Is it possible that you are living with a potentially great man, but he's not being honored and he's not being respected? Now, ladies, don't, don't shut me off. Just listen to what I have to say. I'm going to tell you something about men that you need to know. Often it's not what you say to your husband. It's how you say it. And I know what you're thinking. Mike, you're telling me if he's getting ready to make a bonehead decision and put our whole family in jeopardy, I'm not supposed to say something? Of course you should say something. I believe that every decision in a marriage should be made from a male and a female perspective. Remember, we complete each other. Laura and I, we've been married 40 years. We've done fine. We got plenty of money. Kids are out of the house. Do you know what? We still don't spend $50 unless we consult with the other person first. 
That's just the way we are. In fact, I, I wrote my one book, You Can't, God Can. I'm actually halfway through my second book that I'm writing with Laura, and it's on marriage and family, and I've entitled it, I Can't, unless Laura tells me I can't. See, that's, that's, that's my book title, I think it's gonna sell, right? <clears throat> so yes, if your husband's getting ready to make a bad decision, should you say something? Absolutely. But ladies, I'm telling you, so many times you say it the wrong way. And this is what you need to know about men. You, I mean, just understand it's the way God wired us. We can't hear you if you speak to us without honor and respect. We won't hear you if you speak to us without honor and respect. And you may even be dead on right. But I'm telling you, if we pick up in any shape or form that you don't honor us, we'll shut down. You remember a few weeks ago, I said that a woman's number one need is security. We talked about that on Mother's Day. Man, that's why a woman can't hear you. That's why they can't hear us when we speak to them in insecure terms. I mean, if you walk in, if you talk to your wife and you're complaining about she spends too much time at work and, and she doesn't have any boundaries or she's putting all of her energy in the children and she has no time left over for you. And if she's insecure in the relationship, I'm telling you, she cannot hear. You know what? She's thinking he's not happy. She's thinking, is he going to leave? She's thinking, is he going to find someone else? And here you are just giving input about a situation that you feel needs to be addressed. It's legitimate. It's causing tension in the marriage and the relationship. But because of how you say it, not what you say, she can't hear you. I can promise you, husband and wives alike, we both go deaf when we don't value each other's number one need. So ladies... When Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Do you know what he's telling you? He's telling you to treat your husband the same way you would treat Jesus. That's what he's saying. And I know what you're thinking. When he starts acting like Jesus... I will start treating him like Jesus. You know what Paul's telling you in Ephesians chapter 5? He says, he's saying, if you'll treat him like Jesus, he'll get there. I'll give you a little example. And I've used this years ago. I think I was doing a series. He said, she said. I needed a, I needed a bathtub toy. My grandkids are over all the time. So I had three options. I had Mr. Happy Face. I had a rubber duck. Or a naked Barbie doll. So I went with Mr. Mr. Happy Face, and we'll just say this represents your husband. You know, you put your husband in the bottom of that basin there, he'll just sit there. And he'll just stay there. But ladies, I'm gonna tell you something. If you start to pour in honor and you start to respect him, and you start to pour in praise, I'm telling you, he will rise every time. It's the way God wired us. Let me tell you something. You, be, you may be married to a great man of God. But ladies, you, you got to help him. You got to help him get there. Now, I'll just tell you a secret. Not really a secret. Everything. And I tried to think of an exception. I could not think of one. Everything I have accomplished in life has been because of Laura. Everything. This is not a secret. She knows it. I mean, she knows it. I mean, one night I'm just watching ESPN. I'm not, I haven't said anything stupid. I don't have food on my face. You know, I'm just sitting there. 
And she's over on the couch on her computer. And I sensed she was looking at me. You ever feel that? So I looked over, and sure enough, she's just staring at me. And I said, what? She just went, went back to her. I said, no, what? She says, can you imagine where you would be if you hadn't met me? It's no secret. But let me tell you something about Laura. <clears throat> Laura honored me long before I was the pastor of a great church. See, Laura honored me when I was 23 years old and she was 20. And I'm making about $12,400 a year teaching public school in California. And on the side, repossessing cars to try to make ends meet. And even then, I couldn't provide enough to buy a bed to sleep in. And we had to borrow mattresses from her parents and slept on the floor. Even then, she honored me. Let me tell you something. Behind every great man is an honoring wife who often is just as shocked as he is, right? So don't forget, I'm just telling you, men are like dogs. You praise us, I mean, we, we will do anything. I'll give you another example. I, I get up early in the morning, I go to the gym. I often get home before Laura even gets out of bed. And, and I'll have my coffee and my little breakfast and I'll put my dishes on the counter, usually right above the dishwasher. Never put them away, I don't know why. I, I, I cannot remember Laura ever nagging me about it, even asking me to do it. But one day, a couple of weeks ago, I put them away. I don't know why, but I did. When I came home from the gym and she saw that, she said, wow, honey, thank you. You put your dishes away. You know what I do every morning now? I put the dishes away. You know why? I'm like, you know, that's what we are. That's what we are. That's what we want to do that. You praise us. I mean, if you see him, instead of just throwing his dirty underwear on the floor, you, and he puts them in the hamper, you're such a good boy. He'll just shake all over. You know, I'm just telling you. It's just the way we are. Honor him at the level you want him to be at. He'll get there. Let me tell you one more thing that your husband doesn't want you to know, ladies. As men, we act tough emotionally, but we're not. We're tough physically. We're not tough emotionally. And you ladies, you're just the opposite. You're not very tough physically, but boy, are you tough emotionally. I remember Laura and I first got married, like I said, I was a PE major jock, and so I'd kid around with her, everyone said, so I'd just kind of punch her on the arm. I mean, it's, I'm talking love tap, right? Oh, it's gonna leave a bruise that hurt. Very sensitive physically, right? Understand, as sensitive as God made you ladies physically, and I talked about this on Mother's Day, your husband is that sensitive emotionally. So I'll let you know something. Words hurt men a lot more than they hurt women. And it's because we are emotionally shallow. That's why we don't have deep conversations. We, we can't handle rejection. We don't like to be hurt. We, we have a hard time with the truth. So we don't have hard conversations. You ladies, you have them all the time. In fact, women will actually slug each other with their words. You know what I'm talking about. Husbands, we have no clue what's going on, right? You, you ladies will get together and you'll go, how are you doing, Nancy? Pop, pop, pop. Husbands, we have a clue. And she'll respond, doing fine, Cindy. You know, and now it just kind of goes back and forth. Men are totally clueless. We have no idea. We talk about sports, that's about it. We don't have deep conversations. So you understand when you say something to your husband in a dishonoring way, 
It's the equivalent to him punching you in the stomach. By, by the way, while I'm on a roll, one of the worst things you can do in your marriage is to cut your husband down to your friends. Do you know why? It'll get back to them. Because you'll tell your husband, honey, Sarah was telling me about Bill. Oh, did you know he does this and he doesn't do this? You should talk to him. And he does. He does. You know the worst thing you can do in your marriage is talk about your husband's faults to your family. Because see, this is what your husband will think. If I ever want to leave my past behind, I'm going to have to get out of this family. And men, I'm telling you, that is never the right response. It's never the right reaction. But ladies, I'm telling you, that's what he's thinking. He's thinking, I don't have a chance here. And about now, this is what you ladies are thinking. You know, these men just need to grow up and put their big boy panties on and be men. I mean, what's wrong with these guys, right? I'm going to tell you something. It's not a matter of us growing up. It's not a matter of us putting on our big boy panties and being men. you got to understand, we can't help it. God did this to us. It's the way he made us. We need to be honored. We need to be respected. We need to be praised. Man, if you see him screwing in a light bulb, say, wow, you are so strong. He will change every light bulb in the house. See, This isn't a top need for women. See, that's why you don't see cheerleaders at, you know, women's sports. Go Sarah. See, it doesn't even sound right, right? right. <laughs> that one will get me emails. That, that one, of all ones, that one. That and the fact that cheerleading is not a sport, but that's another message another time. But anyway... Hey, a court decided it, not me. But anyway, that really will get me emails. Your, your husband will rise to the level you want him to be. Honor him where you want him to be. See, that's what Laura does to me. She honors me where, I want, where she wants me to be, not where I am. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. It'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. Now, before you send me the email, let me just say this. Years and years ago, I had a talk similar to this, and I talked about respect and honor. And after that, it was a weeks, maybe months later, a lady came up to me in the atrium, and she says, man, I got to tell you, remember that message I said, yeah? She said, I was so angry at you. She said, I can't tell you how many times I started an email, and they deleted it, and started it over, and then deleted it. And then I was going to make an appointment, come see you. And then she said, one morning, I was having my quiet time, and she just happened to read through Ephesians. She was going through, and she read some of the very same things I talked about, and she thought, what I'm doing is not working. And she said, I started honoring him and complimenting him and praising him. She said, he's become the man I thought he was when I married him. And she said, it's changed our marriage and it's changed our life. So you really have a couple of options. You can walk out of here angry and just continue in the same old crappy marriage that you're in. Or you can apply... Not my opinion. You can apply these biblical principles and see what God does. Well, he needs to do this. Let me tell you something about marriage. You're never responsible for your spouse's actions, reactions. You're responsible for yours. And so ladies, this one's for you. It's on you. It's on you. Who knows? God may use it to change everything. And it may start with you.
Father, thank you for practical truths from your word. Marriage is complicated. Boy, it's complicated. We're so different. But boy, we're so good when we work together. There's nothing more joyful on earth than a marriage that works the way it's supposed to. And Father, we're made up of human beings and we're gonna make mistakes and we're not gonna meet expectations. We just have to assume that going in. But all I can do is love my wife the way Christ loved the church and be willing to lay down my life for her. And all I can do is pray that she'll submit and honor. But Father, that's on her. I got enough to worry about myself. So Father, if we could walk out of here this week and just say, I'm gonna focus on me. God, I'm gonna leave everything else up to you. We may see you unleash your power in our marriages like we've never seen before. Give us the courage to trust you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We're so excited to be a small part of all the great things God is doing in and through your life. If you'd like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download our app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.